welcome to the Training Design Podcast, a approximately 45 minutes of tips and insights for practical training design with me, Sheridan Webb of Keystone Development and Training. And me, Terry Pierce of 360 Learning Design. Today, we're going to be talking about learning design with remote workers in mind. Uh, we're going to be talking about what remote workers bring to the table in terms of challenges for learning designers and the different kinds of remote workers uh, and how we can try and take them into account particularly by trying to design from the very start with them in mind. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the specific uh, challenges and different ways to address them. Uh, but we're also going to come up with a lot of questions uh, as well as answers. So, uh, you know, maybe listen up to some of the questions today. And if you can uh, give us some answers to them, we'd be really happy to hear that. After that, we're going to be having a shorter discussion, but uh, no less interesting, I'm sure, on introverts and how to design for introverts uh, when we're putting together training and learning experiences. So Sheridan, tell us a little bit about some background on this. Why do you think it's important for us to focus on? Um, well, it, it's one of those topics, Terry, that um, has been swirling around my head um, for want of a better reason. That, and, I, and I haven't got an answer to it, I'll be totally honest with you, but it is something that um, I am aware that we need to start thinking about properly now um, in terms of how do we develop um, people who don't work in in a central location anymore because there, there's more and more of them and it, it's not just people who work you know if you think of the typical modern remote worker you think of someone with a screen with a headset logging in um, you know getting involved in video chats and skype and all the rest of it and yes obviously that is an increasing um, style of working and we, we have to take that into account but there's also so many people who um, do manual jobs mm. so you've got agricultural workers you've got engineering workers you know mm. people out there doing the smart motorways you've got people who um, work shifts you know who perhaps cover the night shift um, mm. they might be classed as a remote worker because they're, they're away from the central hub um, either by time or space going a bit doctor who there mm. um, but the, the, as we go to this 24-7 um, always-on society, I think we do have to think a lot more about how do we develop people who don't work 9 to 5 Monday to Friday um, and make sure that they aren't being discriminated against and they're getting the, the same development as everybody else. And, it, and I don't think there's an easy solution to it, to be honest. So mm. I'd I'm, I'm love to um, share my thoughts with you today. And hopefully pick your brains a little bit as well <laughs> mm, no yeah, i think it's, it's a really interesting area to talk about i mean from what you're saying there you're 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 kind of not suggesting that the answer is to do lots of online learning for people i guess uh, online is definitely part of it i think you know we, we can't deny it but i'm always going to bang the drum for those who don't have access to um that sort of technology having been very late to it myself for reasons totally beyond my control and I think that's what people think. I think developing remote workers, let's do e-learning, let's do virtual classroom, which, you know, I'm certainly not going to suggest we don't consider those things because obviously they can be very, very helpful. But I'm not a fan of putting everything online. As you know, it's not always appropriate for the topic. Mm, mm. Um, and people don't always have the access. You know, it isn't always as engaging um, although as a learning designer, we have a responsibility to make it as engaging as we can. Um, but it's, you know, we all know that that social element um, adds a real extra dimension to learning. So 
Um, it, it's, there's lots and lots of things that I think we need to take into account when mm. we think about um, designing training for those remote workers. And it's also, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the guys tarmac in the roads or working in the fields, sometimes it's about them physically doing things as well. It's, if, you, if you work in an office and you want to learn how to do something in Excel, you can do that via your computer. Mm. You know, you, you can Google it, you can go onto a little mini learning module and, and there are things you can do. Um, but if it's, if it's something that's much more engineering based, potentially, you, you, you kind of need to physically do it. Mm. Um, and yep, you may be able to look that up on YouTube, but what if that's wrong? Mm. Um, you know, we, maybe you need to be signed off for doing mm. something. Um, it's, it's quite tricky, I think, when we start thinking about the full range of remote workers out there. Um, and I think a lot of L&D people, myself included, um, is to almost put it on the, that's a bit too difficult pile. Mm. Um, I mean, thankfully, I haven't had any, um, my personal work has been, well, I have had to think about remote workers as part of it and increasingly so but um i haven't yet been asked to design a program that is predominantly for remote workers but i can mm. see it coming mm. yeah i'm not sure that i have actually to be honest yeah um i mean i've designed uh stuff for people who are managing remote workers and there's a, i think there's a lot in there that you kind of take into it that i've built into it but but in actually in terms of actually delivering the training to remote workers yeah not so much do you think do you think that's gonna that's a harder proposition to develop for remote workers i i think i think it is um definitely i think it's certainly more complicated um wh whether it's actually any harder um i don't know but i think there's definitely more facets to it hmm. i mean remote workers are generally quite self-sufficient lot, aren't they? Mm, yeah. um, they're, they're quite um, resourceful and they'll find things out. And But what we've got to remember is that not everybody feels comfortable putting the hand up and asking for help mm. um, for a start. You know, you and I might feel quite comfortable going into one of our, um, our groups and saying, oh, I don't know how to do this. Can anybody point me to some right directions or can anybody give me half an hour to help me? Which is great, but not everyone um, feels comfortable doing that mm. um, and also you know what if they are learning the wrong things what if they've got a blind spot mm. um, what if they are being ignored um, for let's think about succession planning for example mm. Mm. there's a there's somebody doing a fantastic job in central scotland that you know maybe physically sees members of their team once a month but is just quietly getting on with a fantastic job Mm. Um, and it's just overlooked because they're not aware of all the things that are available to them. They're not being seen by people um, who can help them with their career development. So it's, mm. it's, it's a, every problem I think is diff different. Um, so it's definitely not, there isn't one solution to this because every challenge is a different challenge, I think. And it's yeah. not just an L and D challenge. It's a management challenge. It's mm. a succession challenge. It's a recruitment challenge. It's just a challenge for business generally, I think. Yeah, I think in the kind of scenario that you're talking about there as well, it, 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 I don't think people necessarily have this this culture of learning and development. You know, like you say, people not asking for help, but people always not, 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 you know, just walking around the offices and seeing posters for L&D initiatives and training courses on offer and maybe not checking email or intranet as much and therefore not being aware of what training can do for you. Uh, that kind of thing, I guess, is just a culture of learning and development sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're, 
when we think about formal learning and development in particular um, I think designing for remote workers is a tougher proposition mm. so and um, we've just grown up with that environment having where, where learning and training and, and it is changing um, where it doesn't it always used to mean off the job mm. or something formal you would go on a course you would go to college you would complete an assessment um, somebody would sign you off um, now obviously we do have um, the e-learning side of things and virtual classrooms but again that's still kind of a you you go offline and you go and do that do that bit of learning mm. um, and sometimes i think that perhaps needs to be challenged um, because it's harder um, even for a remote worker to take that time off because it may be a lot more complicated mm. um, for them for them to join that so there's so I think we have to think about, well, what do we consider learning and training? Mm. Um, and, and also thinking about, well, the mechanics behind it all, but also, as you're suggesting, Terry, it's the, it's the communication of it all. It's the marketing mm. of it all. It's the getting the buy-in and let, letting people know what's available and how they can access it. Mm. Um, because quite often, I think people do miss out um, just because they're unaware of what's out there. Mm. Mm. So I mean, you're starting to touch on some some kind of uh, some answers or some ways of dealing with it. Then, uh, but you're saying that there's a lot of different kinds of remote work. I presume there's a lot of different answers. Then, yeah, I think there is, and I think that's why I'm struggling with this um, as a learning designer. What what I don't feel confident to be able to do yet to a, a potential client is say, this is how we solve this problem. Mm. I think we're still early enough in this. Um, world say so actually we're, we're still testing out different ways of doing this um, and some things will work and some things will will not work quite so well mm. um, so curation for example is is a great starting point um, mm. but that on its own isn't enough because it, it again it relies on people knowing what learning they need remembering to look it up you know they have to do all the legwork themselves mm. whereas if you're sat in a head office somewhere you get the you know the your manager or your L&D partner will come along and talk to you and say, oh, we're running these courses. Do you want to put your name down for any of them? So mm. it's a lot easier, I think, to, to include people. So I think it's harder to provide, for want of a, an inclusive learning experience. Mm. Mm. Um, when you've got people in different locations, possibly working at different timescales as well, mm. um, it's, it, it is very much a challenge, but it doesn't mean to say that it's something that, that we should shy away from i think what we have to be what we have to do is be growing up enough to say we're kind of working this out at least at least i am I, maybe <laughs> there are people out there who who already have the answers but um mm. i haven't come across anyone yet so you, uh, i mean it sounds to me like you're talking about uh, just being very considerate a little bit like when you're talking about people with particular needs people with a disability uh you're thinking about you know being considerate of all the the different kinds of people that might come under this umbrella yeah i think i am actually yes it, it is it's about making yeah it is about developing that inclusive um learning environment um and it's like um more generally i think it's easier to talk about than it is to, to implement maybe mm. um so but but it is something that obviously um you know people find their way around these things mm. um and what I'm starting to feel is that our job as, as training designers is to put a little bit more form formality around some of this stuff that's already working, some structure, give it some visibility, give people some reassurance. 
Um, and I heard the term used um, quite recently about a learning journey. So we, instead, of instead of designing programs, we should be designing journeys and those journeys should have multiple signposts um, to guide people through and, and almost you know, multiple routes between signposts. So mm. we're able to say, hey, you can still be put on the high potential development, development program we still, you know, we want to develop your career and it's still a formal program. So it's, it's more than just curation. Here's some stuff you might be interested in. Mm. It's in order to complete this, in order to complete this program, we need you to do all of these things. Mm. Um, and I'm increasingly coming to the, the thought that we kind of need to design with assuming that remote workers as a default. As a default? Yeah. Is that quite bold? That's quite bold. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> well, mean that maybe it, that, it's wrong. Then <laughs> that does, doesn't mean that it's wrong. Uh, you mean taking them into account from the very first, or absolutely, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So let's let's assume that people can't come to a central mm. location to mm. receive formal training. Mm, mm. Now it may be that when we start to put things together, we go actually, you know, this 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 bit and this bit, they they have to be, and we're going to stump up the costs of hotels and all of these things because you know that's another reason why I think we should be designing more with remote workers in mind mm. is because you know environmental costs as well as physical costs, getting people you know away from home, which could be very disruptive. There may be a reason that they work remotely or part time. Um, you know the, the expenses bills with everybody staying over and you've got to feed them and mm. all the travel costs so mm. sometimes I don't think that can be avoided but I think sometimes we go to that because it's easier yeah um, and and it works you know let, let's be honest it works mm. I think that's um, probably an, sorry gone no no carry on I was going to say, yeah, it fits into some thoughts I often have around inertia uh, in training design that, that, you know, if we've got something set up, you know, as training designers or as the organization, as the L&D department, we've got a, a course that works or that has always worked or elements of a course or elements of different courses that we can pull together. And that's where we start from. Uh, and actually, if you start with a blank slate and you start to say, who's this for? What are they going to get out of it? Um, and you're being really inclusive from that get-go, then actually, yeah, maybe it turns out to be a classroom session, as you're saying, but maybe it turns out to be something very different. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not one of these people, as you know, Terry, I, I'm not anti-course at all. I think workshops are marvellous things, and long mm. may they continue. Um, but I am very much for, if, if it doesn't have to be that, mm. then let's let's look at the other alternatives that, that we have available to us. But also, and for just sort of... Um, just go off a little tangent here it's, i i was introduced to including remote workers um by accident almost um i was running um, a half day workshop for a client and they casually mentioned to me half an hour before i was due to start that we had two dial-ins mm. so straight away i said okay <laughs> i've got a four-hour workshop planned with post-it notes and flip charts and role plays and I've got two people dialing in. Mm. So I had to think very quickly on my feet, um, how to include those people. Now, luckily, they were both in the same office. Um, they're actually in a different country. Um, so, but they were in the same office. So with just a little bit of forethought, I was, obviously, we could include them in the discussions. That was easy enough. And we actually had them on video rather than just voice. So it was harder to forget that they were there, mm. which was good. Um, and also, they were quite. Um, 
dominant characters as well. So they were very happy to butt in and mm. make their points known, which thank goodness they were, because it would be very easy, I think, for them to sit there otherwise. Mm. Um, but they were, we were able to include them by actually getting them to do pairs activities together. But then when I was able to plan for the next time, was able to be um, a little bit more proactive about using technology. Um, so just something very simple like incorporating Slack, which is something that they use any, anyway as part of their everyday business. So instead of saying, right, put your laptops away, it was a case of get your laptop out mm. um, because I want you to have um, group discussions, but you can have them on Slack. Um, mm. And then somebody in the room would feed back. Um, and that was, you know, so it, it's, th but that was very much thinking on my feet <laughs> mm. um, as to how to include people um, in, a, in a physical training workshop, which I think is something that we do have to start thinking about. Yeah, because... Um, because when you were able to to think about it a little bit more with advance for the next session, you were able to to make it better. So yeah, there's, there's that idea of getting it in there from the start. Yeah, and, and my my knowledge of technology um, isn't as great as yours, Terry. But even the other thing that we're able to do is just bring up Google Docs. Mm. So instead of using Flipchart, they just opened up a Google Doc, which mm. they could all contribute to, and then we just shared that on the screen. Yeah. So just two very simple ways, and, and I know you've um, talked in the past about all the different ways that we can bring technology mm, into the classroom. Mm, mm. Um, and that's definitely something that I think that we need to do if we're going to actively engage remote workers. Um, the other thing I read um, a few weeks ago about, um, it was an article about having a supersized classroom. So could we have one facilitator in a central location who is actually managing, say, five or six sub-facilitators in regional locations mm. I, I don't know I don't know if that's a possible thing um, but where you have one person guiding the whole group but then you have people just facilitating small groups mm. um, it, it's another way <laughs> what's, the, what's the benefit over just having the five groups separately do their own thing um, I don't know um, <laughs> I don't know if that's that to be honest <laughs> but it's um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm always interested to think of different ways to do things. If you know, I'm just trying to think. Maybe if it's a subject matter expert. Mm, um, yeah. Okay. And may, maybe the sub facilitators aren't experts in that, so you, you mm. kind of need to be held together by someone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, who does? Maybe they're not. Um, maybe it doesn't need to be a facilitator. Maybe it needs to be just a spokesperson for that group. Mm, mm. Um, would be the other way of doing it. But I'm just thinking of the different ways that, mm. that we can engage um, different people yeah well, we're, we're trying to make it practical here i guess aren't we so um you know we've got the ideas of being uh as flexible as possible starting with them trying to bring in technology um i mean what else do you see as, as kind of answers that could help a little bit or things that could be part of the answer i guess well i'm i'm going to go back to my very first experience of designing for remote workers and i didn't think of it as anything clever then and it's retail have been doing this for years Mm. And I wrote an induction program for a large um, clothing retailer. And th I'm thinking about it. This is exactly what we did. Even for the managers, it was largely a remote program. Because when you're writing a program, you need people to be on the same journey and have roughly the same experience, mm. which is why it's different to just having curated content where people find what they want when they want and use it. Mm. Um, we're thinking about a program. Uh, for these different people so just going back to my particular example um, for the managers um, it was a, a manager induction 
So people did come up for a couple of days to the head office because they like to see head office, mm. you know, um, and they, they may work, you know, 200 miles away. So it's lovely for them to come up and see that. Mm. But then they were sent away for four weeks with very specific tasks to do with mentors and coaches and with check-in points. And in those days, it was a big, massive folder, you know, with how-to guides and flowcharts and all the rest of it. Um, and they were expected to check in. And then they came back um, at the end, they came back four weeks later, did another bit of formal training that had to be done in head office, obviously checked where everybody was. Then they went back um, into their own stores um, to sort of finish off their training, if you liked. And then they were, they, they were signed off. Then they came back for like a one day. Hey, didn't we all do well? Mm. Brilliant. So that was 80% delivered remotely. Um, mm. And I've done that with a couple of retailers and the retail staff themselves. Um, I, I think, I think that, you know, the, the concept that I'm going to talk about did, I don't know if anyone else will remember this listening to the podcast. When I was a kid, we had SMP cards for maths mm. in mm. primary school. Yeah, uh, yeah. just about remember it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> School maths project, I think. Oh, loved loved SMP cards. Um, so what they were that they they were they were specific maths challenges, um, and they were in specific topics. So it would be mm. fractions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would it's be all area. Um, so you would work on your fractions, mo- you know, module. You work on your area module or whatever it was. But what that enabled us to do is that we all had to complete all those cards, mm. but we didn't have to complete them in the same order. Mm. So that was the one thing. Um, so that was good. So the, I thought, well, yeah, I'm a little bit behind with one topic. I, I need to do some more work on that. It also meant that the teacher had something very specific to discuss with us mm. when we were talking about our maths, because we would take the card and say, this is the card I'm working on. This is the bit I'm struggling with. Mm. Um, so it was a very specific thing. So it was easier to give that sort of lasered intervention mm. to help us do that really specific thing. And I think in some ways, this is how we can develop remote workers mm. by providing very detailed, very structured um, experience guides, for want of a word, guided activities. Mm. But they have to have that support mechanism. We have to trust them to do what we need them to do in the timescales. And we have to make sure they've got the resources to do that, of course, and the time and all the rest of it. But we also need to provide that support. So you're kind of make, talking about making things a little bit more self-directed, really. Yeah, you, self-directed, but within a very specific framework. Mm. So everybody goes through that. So it will fit shift workers, for example. Mm. So in, in these next two weeks, this is what everybody's going to have to have done. And then maybe we can all jump on a Zoom call and we can, we can talk about our experiences mm. of it. doesn't matter if you're in head office. doesn't matter if you're in you know, a shack in Aberdeen. The fact is we, we can, we're all coming to this with the same experiences and at the same point mm. because, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling because I get excited. And I'm it's good. Aloud. It's great. To hear. great to hear. <laughs> and I am just thinking out loud, but what really makes a difference, I think for a program, as opposed to just a standalone piece of learning is that feeling of social engagement. Mm. And when I've worked on programs before, what's been so valuable is that people have gone through it together. Mm. Um, and that's missing, I think, from pure self-directed learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, having a framework, uh, giving them a bit more autonomy, making sure that they're happy with uh, a series of concepts, but giving them a lot more flexibility around exactly when, where, and to some extent how. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I think it does have to be, 
Yeah, not necessarily you must do it exactly this way unless it is a procedural mm. thing. You know, for example, in the retail, you know, they, they had to process a refund in a particular way. They, they mm. couldn't do it however they wanted to. Um, but yeah, it, it is about providing because if you haven't got the re, if you haven't got enough guidance people don't know what to do so they mm. don't do it mm. Mm. um because we're making it hard for them we have to make it easy mm. so we're talking about a lot of self-directed activity uh we're talking about them doing things in almost a little kind of little kind of mod, mini modular kind of way uh, i mean what, what kind of activities or learning ways of learning are we really talking about here yeah, I, th I think you're right in that it has to be very bite size. Um, mm. And because it's going to be done largely, not completely, but largely without that um, close guidance, if you like, it does have to be really clear. So we do have to break things down. And it, it may be things like um, make an appointment with so-and-so, a phone appointment and talk to mm. them about X, Y, Z. It may be, you know, read this article um and answer this question it may be watch this film um mm. and you know we're, we're going to jump on a call about that and let's you know we're, we're all expected to have seen it um because you're going to be ask, asking some questions it may be submit something you know so find mm. out how to complete this form and then submit an example mm. um, or write up an example of how you did this and that forced reflection as mm. well mm. can be quite helpful so we can have online discussions and even they don't have to be video based. You know, I used to struggle with, with the internet, as you know, but you can still have um, a telephone call either with a buddy or with a group. So, and I think having those regular check-ins is so mm. important to mm. keep people together. Um, it doesn't have to be verbal. Obviously you can use something Slack. You can use Facebook, mm. uh, you can use uh, Microsoft Teams. So, but creating this little cohort, um, you could use giraffe pad if you mm. wanted to, for those who aren't mm. familiar with it. Um, but keeping people together as a cohort, holding them accountable, I think is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. So it, yeah, I mean, pra practical activities. So, you know, go and... Um, so a lot of the time when we're doing development exercises, we, we can't engineer situations, real life situations, but we can say... Um, ask your manager to talk you through how you would deal with um, an angry customer. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so you could do things like that. Yeah. It's reminding me a lot of uh, programs that I've designed where, they, where it's a longer program and I'm, and I'm thinking about uh, and putting into place things for them to do in between the face-to-face -face training sessions, uh, yeah. which is kind of really what we're talking about. Uh, maybe having action learning sets even. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Discussing things or, or the online version of them um maybe you know yeah as you say having the idea of a cohort and social learning and uh you know the way that they can spark off of each other uh definitely I've, i found that to work really well in between sessions so if we're talking mm. about maybe eliminating sessions altogether or only having them as one strand of things then yeah that's the kind of stuff that, that i've found to work certainly yeah i think yeah i think you're right i think it's very much depending on the program um mm. It, it is flipping it, isn't it? Instead of saying most of the learning happens in, in the sessions and then we supplement it with this other stuff, actually, it's the other way around. Mm. Um, mm. Most of the 80% of the learning is happening remotely mm. um, and then we're going to just top and tail it almost in, in a full group. Because people do like to, to meet in person if they can, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is important. And I think that has with the motivation, definitely. I mean, if you're talking about people taking a lot of responsibility for their own learning and their own pace, uh, 
you're relying on that. And if you ask people to, if you ask people to do that without any contact with anyone else, it's very easy, I think, but to tail off. But if they have to keep reporting back either to you and or to their peers, yeah, um, that keeps them a little bit straight, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the key things. I think we we have to be. Um, almost quite prescriptive about the learning that people should be doing not necessarily the method or the specific blog that they're reading or the specific podcast that they're listening to um, but we have to be very clear on the objectives and when we expect that objective to have been met mm. and how we're going to hold them accountable for it mm. um, because yeah. as you know terry learning's a habit mm. and once you get into that habit and if there's a um an online group that you know well you haven't posted anything this week what's going on or we mm. have a half hour check-in every week and you've missed three weeks. Mm. Um, you know, we know that something's, something's you know, going wrong there. So, mm. um, and I think it is, again, it's a good way to include shift workers or people mm. in different time zones even. Yeah. Um, because the time of these things, and particularly, um, you know, okay, um, a, a face-to-face verbal, you know, video or verbal meeting has a set time, but a lot of the online chats you know, you, you can have people, you know, you've got your night shift workers mm. um, and your day workers that they can contribute at different times and still get yeah. value from the group. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. As you're speaking here, I'm thinking about links to other episodes that we've, we've done. I think there's some, some big links here, really. Some of the things that we talked about in, uh, well, perhaps gamification, certainly, um, you know, thinking about trying to, to, uh, give them some kind of elements of, of making it a little bit of a game uh, yep. a narrative and so on also the technology one uh, I think you know the technology I've said where we talked anyway you've, you've already mentioned it but yeah I think there's a lot of stuff there if you're gonna be trying to get people to work in these slightly non-traditional ways the more you can find good platforms for them to do it on uh, the easier that's going to be for you maybe yeah yeah definitely and you know and things like you know you can do webinars virtual chats but i think again the role of the facilitator is going to change quite mm. a lot mm. um so it may be that we have a virtual classroom or a webinar that lots of people can attend but maybe three people can't because they're on shift or, or something like that so again to make them included i think you have to say well let's just do a rerun of that if we can't run it a second time let's do a rerun but let's make sure that the facilitator is available in the chat function so they can still ask those questions and still have the same value of learning as as people who can attend you know in the moment mm. yeah absolutely uh, so there's quite a few challenges there for people yeah there um, are <laughs> we've discussed a lot of challenges and not mm. that many um solutions which is something that i didn't want to do because there's mm. too many people out there saying how how we're doing it wrong mm. and i really want to focus on how we you know what people are doing well and, and how we can do it right and Mm. yeah but i think as as you said i mean maybe it does some of the solutions link to some of the other things that we've been saying in some of the other episodes i think definitely as you said finding the technology platforms that are going to help people and finding ways to motivate them perhaps through you know some some of the things we can take from thinking about games um and and you know some of the more general things that we often include like and and spoken about at the start there around uh including people and starting from scratch i mean some of the stuff you were talking about made me think about uh the whole idea of when we design a session and we start with the slides which both of us have spoken many times about how we don't like that approach um but you know this idea that actually maybe sometimes we start with the classroom or we start with this assumption of of, however we did it last time 
so it's maybe some of the solution is yeah again about taking more of that blank slate approach and as you said building this in from the start yeah yeah and and, and it is a challenge um and you know one of the reasons that i think is is for a designer there's a lot more designing to do i mm, think mm. you would think well i'm not having to produce those slides so therefore it's going to be easier i think it's going to be it's going to be three four times the work Mm. to design a program that works just as well for a remote worker as it does for someone based in a head office. Mm. Um, because what is very important is as much as possible, what we should be aiming for is for the remote worker not to feel like they're being slotted in. Mm. Mm. Um, because often that's the case, isn't it? Well, this is the program and we'll, we'll have a quick, so they're coming on a full day workshop and tell you what, we'll just have an hour. We'll send you the slides and we'll talk you through them. Mm. Mm. they're not having the same experience yeah and that's something else that you've talked about in the past it's about thinking about the experience mm. how can we make the experience the same for everybody mm. regardless of whether they work full-time in head office or part-time in a cow shed in Aberdeen yeah but I also think actually that that explains some of the difficulty in finding specific solutions because we're talking about such a wide range of people and contexts that, yeah. that the, the specific solutions really are going to change from time to time uh, is about maybe the considerations that you need to build in. Yeah. And again, you know, just going back, I said to the previous episodes, the, the curation one that we talked about mm. as well. Mm. So where I'm saying, so part one of the program is, is, you know, these are our learning objectives um, here are six things um, that you could do to meet those objectives. Mm. Um, so maybe if you're in head office, maybe there is a half day workshop that you can attend. You know, that's great. But if there isn't, then here are some other things that you will get the same learning from um, mm. that, that you can do. So not everybody takes the same route, but they'll all get to the same learning point. Definitely. so we have to do a lot more research as well mm -hmm. um, as learning designers i think to find those alternative paths mm. yeah okay and that all sounds really i think a really good uh set of ways for people to start thinking about it um we're kind of coming towards i think the end of the time we probably want to spend the day. is there anything else bursting to tell people about about designing for remote workers um i'm just having a think I think we, I said, because I don't have any answers, Terry, I just mm. have questions. And I think it's things that we do need to start thinking about. I think it is about um, being clearer about yeah. what that learning journey is. It's about giving people plenty stepping stones rather than just expecting them to go and find them themselves, but mm. not dictating the path through, mm. um, but making sure there are plenty stepping stones for them to choose from. It is about, keeping them together as a social group which i think is perhaps where a lot of programs fall down mm. so the learning is there and people are supported on a one-to-one -one basis but they don't get that feeling as, of being part of a group so i think that's that's definitely something that we need to work harder at mm. um and the other thing i haven't mentioned but i think as we're going through this learning journey with remote workers i think we have to do a lot more um signposting Mm. and yeah. saying you know, remember we covered that and from that you learned that and therefore we're going to do this mm. um, and next we're going to do the other and I, I don't know it's just a gut feel that I have um, that mm. because remote programs may be done over a longer period of time or certainly mm. they're more broken up mm. 
maybe we just need to keep coming back to that red thread a little bit more often sure to help make the links that may be that may not be the truth but i think that's just something that i suspect mm. may be an issue well, that sounds reasonable if you're talking about a framework you know reminding people where they are in the framework absolutely mm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just it's smaller steps, I think, mm. because what, what we haven't got, of course, is that skilled facilitator holding audience for two days mm. who can think on their feet, who can adapt in the moment, who mm. can draw out people who perhaps aren't engaging as well. And we rely a lot on our facilitators. If that if we take that person effectively out of the programme, Mm. We have to make sure there are other ways to to adapt, to catch people who may be becoming disengaged, um, to help make the, the learning links to, to work and to how they're going to apply it. Mm. Excellent. I think there's some really good stuff for people to be going on with there. I think it's quite healthy to uh, for us to, to cover on this show some ways of uh, some topics that make us think, some topics that we're not 100% sure of all the answers on, but we can start asking the right questions. Yeah, thank you. I don't know. Yeah, it is. And it, it, we are say so we are learning as we go, I think, with this. I don't think anyone out there um, has found the, the Holy Grail yet. Mm. So, yeah, so that's that's just what I'm thinking about, really, with this whole developing remote workers. Um, it's definitely a work in progress. Mm. Um, and I think it does link a little bit, Terry, to what you want to talk about today, which I am very interested to hear about, mm. which is how to design training for the more introverted personality. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people who work remotely um, choose to do so. Mm. Um, not everybody does that, but even within a busy environment, obviously we have very different personality types and traditional training tends to expect people to come along and be vocal and mm. throw themselves into it so it'd be interesting to hear your view on how mm. we can make sure we've got the right balance yeah absolutely it's a really really kind of pet topic of mine um i think life in general kind of is biased towards extroverts and away from introverts i think you know sometimes uh and this is a phrase borrowed from a book that i'm going to recommend shortly um but i think sometimes the world just sees introverts as failed extroverts and that's just not how it is really that actually it's not how it is my no, daughter is an introvert <laughs> absolutely i think uh, introverts have as many strengths as extroverts and have situations different situations but situations where they are that, that is the the personality type that is you know is absolutely required from, mm. from from extroverts but but i think just the way our society is geared certainly in the uk and the us at the very least um yeah. you know extrovert is is, is seen as the, the the wannabe the go-to um and i think in terms of how that translates into the classroom particularly and we can talk about kind of distance learning and so on as well but in the classroom particularly that means that as trainers and as training designers we, we're kind of saying well we want to get everyone up and and doing stuff and and be lots of energy in the room and lots of uh, people yeah. you know are contributing all of the time uh, keep the pace up um and which is great for those extroverts but for the introverts and remembering that introverts aren't is introvert is not another word for shy either no it's not um you know introverts uh you know generalizing but introverts you know are going to appreciate some time in the classroom to reflect certainly uh to uh have space created for their contribution rather than have to fight for their contribution and to be the loudest voice um to work in very small groups as uh, you know as just as often as working in larger groups um so some of these kind of things i think you know 
sometimes I think it, it you know, we, we talk about things like uh, reflectors in learning styles or thinking about shy delegates. And that means a little bit of lip service or, or some, you know, a little bit is pushed in that. Okay. We'll have an, an activity where you're reflecting on what we just did, but mm. it's, it seems almost like an afterthought. And actually I think what we need to do as training designers is a little bit like we were just saying with, with the remote workers is design with them in mind from the start as pretty much half our population. I think we mm. underestimate how many introverts there are because extroverts shout louder and therefore get noticed more, you know, recognize that they're half the people and therefore they need to be taken into half the account. Really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course a lot of um, introverts know are able to function in a slightly more mm. extrovert way. I mean, my, my husband is also mm. an introvert mm. and you know, he's, he's, perfectly comfortable in a group he's happy to talk to people he mm. talks to people all day long but when he comes home he just wants to be quiet mm. because he needs to recharge yeah absolutely and i think yeah that's the danger as well you know we we, we take a, uh, you know an instant kind of judgment are oh, they, these people are contributing therefore they're extroverts but actually you know that's a learned behavior to function in a world that favors extrovert and mm. actually if you want people to be comfortable and you want them to learn maybe what you want them to do is, 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 you know, be on the ground that they feel most safe and, mm. uh, and, and confident. I know we say this a lot, Terry, but I am, I'm going to insist, <laughs> insist that we do a proper full version podcast on this because I think we could talk, I genuinely think we could talk about this for 40 minutes. Yeah. I think, um, right. I think there's an awful lot to it because it's easier as a, as a facilitator um, I was running a program about three years ago and we had um, an, a very extreme introvert on the course. His, na his name was Clem. Um, the first workshop, apart from speaking when, you know, hello, goodbye, he didn't say a word. Um, thankfully, it was a program and we gradually, I gradually got him um, to feel more comfortable. It was the same people as well every time, which helped. Um, and I just remember we, a couple of really strong characters in that group who would always chip in and always have the answers and always start the discussions. Um, but if I noticed him wanting to say something, I shut the room up, went, shush, mm. Clem has something to say. Yeah. And he would say it and it was always fantastic. His contribution mm. was always the highest quality mm. Um, mm. because he didn't contribute often. So he, he really thought about what he wanted to say yeah. And it was always spot on. Yeah. But that, that's the facilitator noticing yes. that. Yes. So I really want to talk about the design of it. And I think genuinely we need to do that properly. Sure. Well, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, I think you're right in that, that you know, we, it's easy to think about it, how it works in the room. And, and in some ways, that's a great way to tackle it. But as designers, we need to make it uh, definite that it will always happen, that it's not dependent just on the skill or awareness of the facilitator. And I also think it does us extroverts good as well to use a different approach. We need to shush sometimes, don't we? And take a, taking a different approach means that we learn in a different way and we have insights that we wouldn't have otherwise. So there's mm. definitely something in that. Yeah, definitely. I just want to, uh, so let's do an, uh, an episode on this in the future, but I just want to uh, chuck in that book ex, uh, book recommendation because if anybody does want to think more about introverts and about uh, trying to take them into account and redress that kind of slightly unfair balance as I see it at the moment, then there's a book by Susan Cain called Quiet, 
uh, which is really, really good. Uh, it's an amazing book, and not just for training designers, for anybody who has to deal with introverts, which is everybody, um, yeah. but is not one themselves and perhaps doesn't quite understand them as well as they would like to. My, my daughter's friend has that book, um, and I'm friends with her mum, and it was quite funny because um, th- this girl and her mum went, went shopping and um, my friend Julie was looking forward to it. She's a little bit of time with my daughter. She says, but every time we weren't physically moving anywhere, if they were in a queue, if they were in a coffee, whatever it was, daughter got that exact book out. Mm. And she said she couldn't have sent a clearer message to me. It was just quiet. You know, she's <laughs> like, I don't want to talk. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I think that, I think we've had... Um, quite a um rambling chat almost i think today we, we've explored lots and lots of ideas um and i think in some ways terry we've actually come up with more questions than answers and i think to be fair it's probably the first time we've done that so hope everyone will forgive us um, well if they have answers to those que- <laughs> if they have answers to those questions maybe they can uh, they can get in touch that would be great oh, that would be amazing wouldn't it because we can do a follow-up then mm. We'd love some discussion on the podcast's Facebook page. So just search for the Training Design Podcast on Facebook and let us know there your thoughts on the podcast itself, on the topics we've been discussing, or on anything else you think we'd like to hear about. Uh, Also, if you want to connect with either or both of us individually, that'd be great. So uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, There are a couple of Terry Pierce's, but I uh, have my business as well, which is 360 Learning design and you can look up www.360learningdesign.com and uh, you can also email me at terry at 360learningdesign.com but yeah i'd love to hear from people about the show or about the topics we've talked about yeah and you can also find me on linkedin just search for sheridan webb there aren't very many of us i am the one that's the bespoke training designer Um, you can email me sheridan at keystonedevelopment.co.uk or you can join the training designers club which is a supportive community for any type of person involved in learning and development so just google training designers club or visit trainingdesignersclub.co.uk fantastic it's been really good to chat to you today sharon as always oh thank you very much you always enlighten me terry i have to say um so it's it's been really enjoyable as always so next time introverts next time (laughs) okay thanks bye bye